Well, we used to sing in the hymnal a song called uh, Our Great Savior, and it started, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. And uh, that song by Casting Crowns was released about five years ago. It says the same message, and it says in a different way. Um, I've been thinking about Jesus, friend of sinners, for about two weeks now, and I really can't get it uh, out of my mind. I've been th thinking about... Um, the three parables that are included in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Probably the most preached chapter in all of God's Word, the parable of the prodigal son, is probably the most famous of all of the parables. Remember, a parable is a made-up story. Jesus made up a story to make a point. And throughout the 32 verses of Luke chapter 15, you really can't understand those 32 verses until you look at the first two, because the first two shed light on why Jesus made this, these three stories up, and they also tell us who he told uh, these stories to. Um, the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinner is, sinners is repeated so much all through Scripture, but never it comes more to light than it does in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, would you open it, please? The 15th chapter of Luke, verses 1 and 2 are all we're going to read. We usually preach the rest of, of Luke, but only going to preach verse 1 and 2 today because that sets the stage for the three parables that are included in it. Amy, what do we have up here? The Bible says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Okay? That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Jesus had to be the type of person that attracted the tax collectors and notorious sinners. Most of you have been in church long enough to know tax collectors were the hated of the hated people uh, because they made their money on charging more tax than actually they had to. So if I felt like Nate could pay more than Ruby could pay, I would charge Nate more and I would keep the extra, turn the rest into their government. Tax collectors were hated people. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to Jesus to hear him teach. Then verse 2, this made the Pharisees the most religious people of the day. Uh, these people were uh, in denominational headquarters, okay? They were the most religious people of the day. These made, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them, which is the biggest sign of hospitality in that day and time. Even eating with them. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It's in uh, the book of Matthew where the Bible says this, uh, he was accused, Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. He was a accused of being a lot of things. And in Matthew 11, chapter 19, they add on to the fact that he was eating and drinking. He says, you're a glutton, you're a drunkard. And you're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So just to make the matter worse, not only are you a glutton and a drunkard, but you are a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what a slam that the religious people of the day thought it was when you called someone a friend of tax collectors and, and drunkards. When Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, that meant he hired all the other tax collectors to do his job. They couldn't believe he went to the house of a sinner to be able to eat. Uh, you cannot read God's Word without understanding 
that he was a friend of sinners and sinners were people that gathered around him and somehow were attracted to him. Now that word sinner means, yes, what we think it means today. People that break God's law, people that do what God does not want them to do. But it also had much greater context in that day and time than it does today. It was anyone who was outcast. It was anyone who was not in the in-group. It was the neglected people. A lot of times you'll see the phrase, those Gentile sinners in Scripture, because they were not Jewish people. They were those Gentile sinners. They were not in the in-group. So when it says Jesus is a friend of sinners, it means he was hung out with the outcast. He hung out with the neglected. He hung out with the people that no one else hung out with. He hung out with the people that hung on the wrong side of the crowd. He hung out with the people, and people murmured about him. In fact, the Pharisees said it in a condemning way, in an accusatory way. He even eats with sinners. Neglected. Outcast. People that other people. Jesus did this all the time. Um, he hung out with people with no status in society. Uh, there were two classes of people that had the lowest status in all of society in ancient Jerusalem, and one of those was little children. And the Bible says he gathered the little children, and he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. He he hung out with people that other people didn't hang out with. He there there couldn't be any more any person that's ever lived on this earth that elevated the, stat, the status of women more than Jesus did. He hung out with people other people didn't hang out with, neglected people, outcast people. I've been thinking about the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners for over two weeks. It started, I don't know when it started. It may have started when I heard that Timmy Thompson died. Some of you know Timmy. Some of you don't know Timmy. Timmy was some of our honored guests that sit over here with our promise class that Garnet Beam started over 30 years ago. And Timmy was one of the first people in Garnet's class. Do we have that photo of Timmy up here somewhere? You all remember Timmy, don't you? Some of you are, are recipients of those big sloppy kisses Tim used to give, right? Yeah, Judy, you are, aren't you? I know you are. Tim used to give me a big old sloppy kiss. If he didn't shave that morning, I'd get burnt right up here, you know. And he called everybody dad. He'd see me. He goes, hey, dad. Hey, dad. Or he called me the big guy. I, I, this is a big guy. You're the big guy. I said, it's time for you to go in to church now, Tim. Okay, fine with me. Fine with me. The Timmies of this world in first century Jerusalem and even in 2017 are some of the neglected, even some of the outcast. And I'm very proud of our church that we have a Sunday school class that is devoted to them. I try very hard to pay a lot of attention to those members of that Sunday school class, but as we were burying Timmy on last week, I'm reminded that I don't pay nearly enough attention to the caretakers who um, spend 40 hours a week and more being able to give cares to the Timmies of the world. Thank you for doing that. We appreciate that very much. (laughs) 
When the Bible talks about sinners, it not only talks about prostitutes and tax collectors and people that are doing all kinds of bad things. It talks about the outcasts. It talks about uh, the people that are on the outside, that are not in the in-group, that are neglected, that don't have any status. It talks about the people like the Timmy Thompsons of this world. You know, I read an article a few years ago in Christianity Today that said that um, in a few years, um, Down syndrome will be all but eliminated. And that's not because of any breakthrough in medical science that we have found a cure for that extra chromosome. You know why they say that? They say that because the population of Down syndrome is dwindling year by year by year. It's as lowest that it's ever been. You know why? You can figure it out. We now have a blood test. We now have a blood test that at a very early in the mother's pregnancy, she can know if the child has Downs. We didn't have that blood test 40, 50 years ago. So many parents are, seek, are uh, deciding to terminate that pregnancy. Thus the... Um, Population of Down syndrome. It's going down and down and down. Uh, a few years ago in Oregon, maybe three years ago, a $2.9 million settlement was awarded to a family that had sued their doctor because he did not tell them that their child would be, have Downs. And they said that um, while we love our child, we would have saved our child the horror of going through a life with Downs. Is that really the reason, you think? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to live in a world where all imperfections are taken out. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to live in a world where we're all part of the beautiful people, the right people. I think our world is, is more rounded because of the Timmy Thompsons of this world. That bring us great joy and teach us many things. Timmy was very limited, obviously. Very limited. But he loved better than I love. And he accepted better than I accepted. Maybe I'm the one that's limited. If Jesus were in our church, he'd be sitting right over here. He's a friend of the people that don't have a lot of friends. He's a friend of the outcast. He's a friend of the neglected. I, I try hard to um, hug them and put my arm around their shoulder and greet them, look them square in the eye. I, I don't do that, honestly, because I'm a real compassionate person. I, I think if somehow you grade people on compassion, I'd be lower than most of you, I think. I really believe that. But I do it because... Jesus did it. And we're called to be Christ-like disciples in the nation.
And it doesn't make any difference if I don't really feel like it or if I don't really know what to say or whatever. I think it's following the footsteps of Jesus, who was a friend of the neglected, a friend of the outcast, who hung around people that other people didn't hang around, who, who, who touched people and gave them attention that other people didn't do that. I see Jennifer back here who owns a nursing home. I say this not to, um, I hope you know me well enough. Those of you who have been in the church a while do. Those of you that are new don't know me. I, I, but I, I don't say this to pat myself on the back. I'm just giving you an example of trying to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Several years ago, three, four, five, I don't know, Dan McLean was our missions president, and he had a Sunday evening mission service that was, that was geared toward teens all over this district. And so we had a bunch of teens in here, 400, so I don't know how many we had. And so they had a service and a speaker, and the speaker gave an altar call at the end. And so teens were responding to the altar call. And, um, and then, um, then, as usually is, happens, he asked for some youth pastors, youth workers, parents, come pray with your teens here. Well, Timmy saw a lot of people start coming. Timmy was there. Anytime Garnet Bean came, Timmy usually came, right? Okay. So Timmy saw all these people started coming forward. So Timmy starts coming forward. He didn't. He's three-year-old. He didn't know any different. So everybody teamed up to pray with somebody, and Timmy was just standing right here all by himself. Now, I don't know what he understood, and I didn't even know if he even understood that he was all by himself. I mean, I don't know. But I was up there in the balcony, and I saw that no one teamed up with Timmy, and it just, God just seemed to say, you know, you need to get down there and pray with him, make him feel accepted. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back. I just did it because I think Jesus would have done it. <laughs> Who's the outcast? Who's, who is the neglected one? Who is the one that no one else pays attention to? Who's the one that certainly can't help you? you can't, they, they can't help you. They can't help you in your career, and they can't give back to you. They need you maybe to give to them. Who is that person? I, I don't know. I, I'm not telling you to do this or do that. I'm not giving you... A, the, a charge to go out and do, you got to work that out in your own life however the spirit of God is prompting you right now but you have those people in your life and can I tell you Jesus was a friend of sinners and we're called to be Christ-like disciples in the nations and we're called to do that individually and we're called to do that corporately and I don't know every single way it works out I don't I don't know if that means that every homeless person that you see you're supposed to take him home and 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 cook him a hamburger I, I don't know what that means I really don't it's hard to work it out but I've got to somehow come to grips with that in my life and you do too I can't just pass it off Jesus was a friend of sinners he was a friend of the outcast the lost cause the neglected the leper and we're called to be Christ-like disciples that has to have some outworking in our life I've told this story before um, I know I've told it to the staff. Maybe I've told it here. Uh, I attended a leadership thing one week, and, and it was an evening class on leadership. And, and at the, 
the Friday night class, at the end of the class, the, the professor or the speaker, I can't remember who, if he was a professor or just a leadership guy in the community, I can't remember. But he gave us a test, <laughs> and that test was, one question was on that test, and said, um, what is the name of the lady that has been cleaning in the hallway all this week? And what he talked to us about leadership during the week, one of the things he talked to us is, is that leaders pay attention to people that other people don't pay attention to. It's nothing new. They just took it from the greatest leader there ever was, Jesus. <laughs> and so at the, at, the, at, the, at the final exam of that leadership class, he wanted to know, how many of you have introduced yourself to this lady? I hadn't. I hadn't. Jesus is a friend of the outcast, the neglected, the ones that no one else speaks to, the ones that no one else hangs around, people that have no status in society, people that can't do anything for me. So, through Timmy's death and funeral, I've been thinking about that. I was also thinking about it when I went to Indianapolis for General Assembly. General Assembly is the once every four-year gathering of Nazarenes from all over the world. And it's where we do the business of the church. And delegates from all over the world are elected to come and represent their parts of the world. And we do the business of the church. We make changes to the global church. We, if there's articles, if there's changes that need to be made in our articles of faith or or anything that can only be changed when the whole church is gathered together with representatives of all over the world are there. And like any convention, there are uh, display areas where there are booths and, and, and different um, companies set up their wares and different diff ministries are, are there and they let you know what they're trying to sell and how they can make your church better and all that kind of stuff, just like in any convention. And there was one booth set up there that was advertising a ministry uh, that was out of uh, a church in Kansas City. Uh, the, the name of that ministry was Love Wins. And it was a, it was a ministry to uh, homosexuals in downtown Kansas City. The booth was, was um, decorated in, in rainbow colors. And a uh, very prominent display that is an outreach to LBGTQ, whatever all those letters are. I can't keep track of them. That, that booth, um, that booth uh, made a lot of noise at General Assembly. Or let's say a lot of noise was made about that booth. <laughs> a lot of stuff on Facebook. This ministry of this one church is in accordance with the Church of the Nazarene. It's in accordance with our beliefs on sexual activity in the Church of the Nazarene. They just have a very distinct ministry reaching out to all kinds of people with sexual behavior outside of the biblical norm. So I started thinking about that booth and what I thought about that booth. And it re reminded me as I was, also had Timmy in the back of my mind, the funeral that I was going to preach, and also been reading through Luke 15, the, the whole Jesus friend of sinners and the song by Casting Crowns was just running through my mind. There was a, um, 
resolution to General Assembly that was uh, rewording our whole statement on human sexuality. We tried to reword that four years ago, and we really couldn't do it, and we referred it back and said, hey, we can't do this this year. We've got to come back and try to get it next year. And so we had this whole statement that was before the General Assembly on, on, on human sexuality, and all, all churches are dealing. And, of course, it was prompted by the whole homosexual issue. All churches are dealing with that. Denominations are splitting over that. Churches are leaving denominations because of that. The United Methodist Church, in, in, in my opinion, in two years will split. For 30, 30, more than that. Since the 1970s, they, they've had two factions that have been warring against one another. That's too strong of a word. But the, the United Methodist Church is not able to do what she's called to do because she's so focused on this issue. And, and as a son of a Methodist pastor and someone who was raised in a Methodist church, it's my desire that, that they do split so each, each segment can carry on ministry as they think they need to carry it on instead of arguing about it. A Methodist friend of mine called me about two months ago and asked me how he could become a Nazarene <laughs> because of that issue. I have an Episcopal friend that we live down the street from me in, in Springboro, and he is no longer in the Episcopal church because of the changing stances of the Episcopal church on this. Uh, Presbyterian church is mightily battling this. We have a small, small segment in the Church of the Nazarene that wants full affirmation of homosexual behavior. We have a small, a small sliver. I, I don't know what percentage that would be. It's small. We have an equally small sliver on the other side of the coin that thinks that homosexual behavior is the mother of all sins. That it is worse than anything else and... Um, they um, are just way, way far on the right side. So you have both of these segments in, in our church. Both of them are small percentages. The masses are in the middle. The masses are in the middle. But our language in our, mat, in our, in our church manuals, which is where we print all of our articles of faith, lean more toward this side than it did toward this side. Many thought it wasn't gracious enough. It wasn't spoken in Christ-like words. So many people thought we could say the same exact thing, but say it in more gracious, Christ-like, loving words. Not change the article of faith, not change the statement, but say it in a way that more reflected that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That more reflected that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. It was approved by 97% vote. So when our new manual comes out in a year or so, uh, there'll be a new statement on homosexual, on human sexuality, excuse me, on human sexuality of which homosexuality is a part of. Um, I'm not going to read you that whole statement. It's three pages long. I've got about 25 copies of it down here on the first row. If any of you want to take it home, and read it in its entirety. I'm going to show you a little bit of it. And why I think 
that it better portrays the church of the Nazarene following in the steps of the Nazarene who was a friend of sinners. Let's read just a little bit of this. Our brokenness in the area of sexuality takes many forms. Some due to our own choosing and some brought into our lives via a broken world. I am not a doctor. I don't profess to be. I'm not a scientist. I don't speak where, hopefully, I don't speak where I don't have at least a little bit of knowledge. Um, The whole area of why, how, where did homosexuality come from, choice, orientation, is it's a tough area. And we're saying that in this statement. We're saying we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And that brokenness takes a lot of different forms. Some of it comes by our own choosing. And some of it just comes because we live in a broken world. There's someone who who could be a homosexual that something was done to them when they were very young. And now that that person is older, they 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 are living the gay lifestyle and they feel like that it's innate for them, but they don't even know because something that happened at five years old has become so part of their DNA that they don't even know that they're, it's a choice or not. I don't know. That could be a possible scenario. We live in a broken world with lots of sin, and who knows why we have all the different aspects of sin. Okay, so, however, after we talk about all this brokenness of sin, God's grace is sufficient in our weaknesses, enough to bring conviction, transformation, and sanctification in our lives. However, even though we live in a broken world, God's grace is sufficient to transform, to convict, and the word sanctification is to make holy, to become Christ-like. Okay? We live in a broken world, but there's grace. Next slide. Therefore, in order to resist adding to the brokenness of sin... In order to resist to the brokenness that's here because we live in a fallen world. In order to not make the situation any worse. In order not to add to it. And to be able to witness to the beauty and uniqueness of God's holy purposes for our bodies. We believe members of the body of Christ, enabled by the Spirit, can and should refrain from. And now... I'm not going to read them all. There's about seven or eight bullet points that are listed of all kinds of sexual issues that are outside the will of God. One of the ways this statement is is more gracious is because the old statement only listed homosexuality. It didn't talk anything about pornography. It didn't talk anything about extramarital affairs. It didn't talk anything about sin outside of marriage. It didn't talk anything about rape. It didn't talk anything about sexual violence of any kinds. It just listed homosexuality like it's this big end-all sin it's homosexuality is now listed amongst all the other ways that god says the sexual ethic can be perverted that's more gracious that's more truthful So, members of the body of Christ, enabled by the Spirit, should be able, they can and they should be able to refrain from all these different ones. Only thing I'm going to read now next is the statement on homosexuality because that's the one everybody was looking at and see how are they going to word that. 
Next slide. So this is one of the ways, one of the things you should refrain from. And you can refrain from it. It's what the, by the, able by the Spirit. You can and should refrain. Sexual activity between people of the same sex. Because we believe that is God's intention of our sexuality to be lived out in a covenantal union between one woman and one man. Okay, got that? So it talks about a couple of different things right there. It says our sexuality should be lived out between the covenant. We don't use that word very much. Because we've made a promise through marriage that sexual activity should be between a man and a woman in that covenant relationship. Church making a statement there. That that's where the sexual ethic should be worked out. We believe the practice of same-sex sexual intimacy is contrary to God's will. For human sexuality. Saying the same thing that we've said for years and years, but saying it in a more gracious, loving, kind way. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He, he, he welcomes them. He even eats with them, the scripture said. He came full of truth, but he came full of grace as well. Next slide. While a person's homosexual or bisexual attraction may have complex and different origins. May have complex and different origins that none of us here are able to speak to. Complex and different origins. You notice it talks about homosexual attraction and behavior is all it's talked about so far. While a person's homosexual and bisexual attraction may be complex and different origins, uh, and the implication of this call to sexual purity is costly, we believe the grace of God is, is sufficient for such a calling. What's it saying? If you have same-sex attractions or bisexual attractions, the call to sexual purity is costly, but we believe the grace of God can enable that. No, one, no one's being flippant about that. The call for someone who has same-sex attractions, the call to abstain is costly. No one, no one says that's a breeze. No one says that's a breeze, but we believe the grace of God is sufficient for such a calling. Remember, the issue, we have two things. We have homosexual attraction and we have homosexual behavior. Two things. The Bible knows nothing of homosexual attraction. It doesn't speak to it. It only speaks to homosexual behavior. So, one of the ways this language is more gracious and truth and shows us that, that we're trying to be friends of sinners like Jesus was is that we're not condemning homosexuals. Homosexuals were condemning homosexual behavior. I didn't get too many amens there. We're not condemning homosexuals. We're condemning homosexual behavior. The Bible doesn't speak to homosexuals. It speaks to homosexual behavior. Hey, I don't condemn a thief. I condemn theft. I don't condemn the gossiper. I condemn gossip. 
I don't condemn the adulterer. I condemn adultery. Or can I say, I should have said all along, the Bible doesn't condemn adultery. The, uh, the adulterer, the Bible condemns adultery. The Bible doesn't condemn the person that sends sex messages on, the, on their text. That doesn't con- condemn the person that, that, that is, is trapped in pornography. It condemns pornography and the getting on and, and the looking at that behavior. There's the difference there, friends. The, the, the person that has same-sex attractions, their call is to live a life of absence. Hey, come on, guys. Be honest. Is there one of us guys that are married that as soon as we got married, we all of a sudden didn't ever notice other women that were good looking? <laughs> Did my attraction to multiple women stop on November 18, 1995? Or have I had to say no to that? I can have a weird thought come through my mind. I can even have an attraction come through my mind. But I say no, and I turn from that. That attraction is not sin. Acting out on that attraction is sin. If, acting, if, if that attraction is sin, then Jesus was a sinner because he was tempted. And in this language, we're trying to distinguish between homosexual attraction, which the Bible doesn't even talk about. Only thing the Bible talks about is homosexual behavior. So we don't, not condemning and putting down homosexuals, we're putting down the behavior. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Do I have another slide? We recognize the shared responsibility of the body of Christ. Listen. The shared responsibility to the body of Christ to be a welcoming, forgiving, and loving community where hospitality, encouragement, transformation, and accountability are available to all. (laughs) What they're saying is we encourage every Nazarene church to be a friend of sinners. (laughs) We encourage every Nazarene church to even eat with them. We encourage every Nazarene church to be a welcoming, forgiving, loving community where hospitality, encouragement, transformation, and accountability is available to all. If we don't want the homosexuals in our church, where do we want them? Where should they go? the person that was on his computer last night with two hours worth of pornography. We want him right here this morning. The the female that committed adultery on her husband last night, we want her right here this morning. Where else would we want them? And one final slide. The people of God are marked by holy love. We affirm that above all virtues, 
always welcome, we've, above all virtues, we've always welcomed broken people into our gathering. Such Christian hospitality is neither an excusing of individual disobedience nor a refusal to participate redemptively in the discerning the roots of brokenness. Can I read that again? We've always welcomed broken people. <laughs> you know, the problem, with, the problem with having this conversation is we're talking about those broken people instead of talking about us broken people. <laughs> That's what the song says. The song I played for you says, I was the outcast. I was the leper. We've always welcomed broken people into our gathering. Such Christian hospitality is neither an excusing of individual disobedience. We don't excuse individual disobedience. Nor a refusal to participate redemptively in discerning the roots of that brokenness. You, you, you can accept the... Re you can accept the reality of sin without affirming the behavior. Sin is a reality. We can accept, my little boys are sinners. Yours are too. We accept the reality of sin without affirming the behavior. Why can't you do both? Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I think through this statement, that passed with 97% agreement. We've said the same thing in a more gracious, loving, affirming, life-giving way that may make our churches open for people with all sexual brokenness to come in and receive transformation. Is that it or do I have just a little bit more? Now, this last thing tells, we know this is hard. This is not easy. I don't know how this works out. As the global church receives and ministers to the people of our world, the faithful outworking of these statements as congregations is complex and must be navigated with care, humility, courage, and discernment. This is no, ball, this is no easy thing here. This is tough. And it's hard to work out. And we'll mess it up sometimes. There's times we'll be too gracious and there's times we'll be too truthful. But, but our leaders are saying, get in there and get dirty with it. Get in there, churches of the Nazarene, whether you're in Africa or whether you're in Alabama, and, and get in there and get into the dirtiness of the brokenness of people. I've tried to tell you this morning that Jesus is a friend of sinners, and that works out a lot of different ways, two of which I've just named this morning. Jesus hung out with people that other people didn't hang out with. He hung out with people that uh, other people would just kind of look at you real weird for hanging out with them. Other people would call you not Christian for hanging out with them. And it's our call as individual Christians, and our call as a church to do the same. How does that work out? I'm not even sure. It's hard. But our leaders of our denomination are saying, let's work it out. Let's get in there and work it out. We're going to mess it up. We, 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 we're, let's try to work it out and be welcoming congregations. 
Well, has the church of Nazarene gone liberal? Are, are, we, are we just gone off the deep edge and joined all the other denominations? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think we've gone back to Jesus, who's a friend of sinners. It's easy to write a statement. It's hard for it to work out in our lives, isn't it? It's just really, really hard. But I felt like I wouldn't be your pastor and I wouldn't keep you abreast of what's going on in our church of the Nazarene if I didn't preach this message today and couch it with the love and the grace that Jesus brought to broken people. Our servers are coming to the table. And as you come to receive this morning... I don't know whether you picked up the lyrics or not, but the um, words of the song says that you are the leper. We are the leper. I was the lost cause. I was the outcast. I was the grateful leper at your feet. So when we're talking about those people, (laughs) we're talking about us. And if you don't get that, you don't get the depth of sin. We stand in a parade this morning of people knowing we need the grace of God as much as any homosexual sinner needs the grace of God. We need the grace of God. Father, we will never in our humanity be able to follow Jesus and his steps as a friend of sinners. We'll never ever do it right. We'll mess it up. We'll, we'll be too truthful. We'll be too gracious. We, we won't be able to find the, the right mix between those two, but God help us try. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to minister to this community. to minister to families of this community. Give us grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.